Hi, I'm Jonathan Evans. You're listening to Boundless Vancouver Sermon Series 2020, Advent, Episode 2, on Mark 1, 1 1-13, in Isaiah 40. The sermon's entitled, Comfort, Comfort My People. If you haven't been reading the news or talking to your neighbors or listening to your family and roommates, the world's in pain. Our neighborhood just concluded Heart of the City Festival. Vancouver's downtown east side is Vancouver's exposed and broken heart. The neighborhood grabs our attention with its loud yelling, shuttered shops, littered and loitered sidewalks, and graphic scenes of drug use and open sex work. Yesterday, the Vancouver Sun published an article, Chaos and Depravity So Normalized in the Downtown East Side That There's No Humanity Left. Those are theological words. Depravity. No humanity. That statement should catch you. You might want to look away and run away from the suffering of the world. But Advent won't let us. Let me read from this article. It's not for children, so please ensure they're not able to hear the graphic depictions of our neighborhood. The graphic video was shot in full light of day on a sidewalk in the so-called heart of Vancouver's notorious downtown east side. A bare-chested man appears to be raping an unresponsive woman at the busy corner of Main and Hastings streets. From the waist down, he's covered by a blanket or perhaps a sleeping bag. At one point, she stirs and brings her hand to her forehead. With her face mostly obscured, it's not clear whether she's stone drunk or has just simply given up. Her leg dangles awkwardly by his shoulder before he loops an arm under it, pulling it skyward so that the high heel of her tall black boots points straight up. It's horrific, distressing in so many ways. Patrol officers in Vancouver Police Department Sex Crimes Unit are now investigating. On Vancouver's drug-addled downtown east side, chaos and depravity have become so normalized there's no humanity left. This video is just the latest proof. In April, people complained about the door to a portable toilet outside the busy Carnegie Center at Main and Hastings being closed for hours. Apparently, nobody heard a woman in labor or saw her leave. And later that day, police found the dead baby's body. This is not a story of a woman who failed, but about a woman who was failed. Janice Abbott, CEO of Atira Women's Resource Society, tweeted. But in January, Tanya Heyer was fatally beaten in a Gastown hotel run by Atira, which is the largest nonprofit housing provider in the DTES. Let's not forget, these are the same streets where serial killer Willie Picton trolled for his 49 victims in the late 1990s and early 2000s. There's long been a romanticized notion that the downtown east side community is knit together by shared poverty, trauma, addictions, and sorrow. It's still where people are able to rise above it and care for each other. I know it's not popular to say, but if ever was that way, I don't think it's the case anymore, said Mabert Bien, the executive director of WISH. So many people have died that it has left a whole new level of desperation. And there are new people constantly coming in. Whatever the downtown east side once was, it shifted. What it is now, 
Canada's poorest postal code, the epicenter of this country's illicit drug overdose epidemic, a beacon of shame in a homelessness crisis. It's beyond shameful. Block for block, this neighborhood has the highest density of social service agencies in the province, and possibly Canada. Even before the opioid overdose crisis took root or COVID arrived, governments were pouring more than a million dollars into it every day. What happens every day and night is a stunning rebuke to the collision of social and economic policies that have led to this. And no one has paid a higher price than the women who find themselves there with nowhere else to go. That's it. That's the end of the article. Nowhere else to go. No hope. Just suffering. What are we to do? Comfort? How can you comfort a person, a neighborhood, a city, like ours that's so broken and hurting? Who can restore humanity? Where is there any answer to depravity? There is a glimmer of hope in today's Advent reading in Mark chapter 1. Relying heavily on Isaiah and pieces of Malachi and Psalm 2, the gospel writer invites us to put our hope in the one who will come and fight humanity's enemies. The gospel's clear. We are a captive people. It isn't just on neighbors on the streets. Things have been done to you, said to you. The enemy has plans to strip you of your dignity, your humanity. He wants to mar the image of God, which is so despicable and offensive to the darkness. But wait. Those who live in darkness have seen a great light. The focus in today's lectionary is in Isaiah 40, where we get the text, Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So what was Israel's understanding? Isaiah 40 is the second section of the book. Israel, much like the world today, was divided along geopolitical realities, superpowers, and theological ideologies. And what was the effect? A crumbling physical reality with very little hope. How could God's people be occupied, displaced, culturally robbed, living in squalor and abject poverty? There's a gap of 160 years between chapter 39 and 40. And during that gap, much happens. The collapse of Assyria, the rise of Babylon as a new superpower, the death of the good king Josiah, the near anarchy brought about by his royal sons. Most important, however, is the massive destruction of the entire Jerusalem establishment. City, dynasty, temple the complete infrastructure of that social and theological entity, destroyed. This is their lament from Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. Daughter, Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. 
Israel's only hope was sheer revenge, that some hero would waltz into the world power scene and wipe Babylon off the face of the planet. And you need to know this. The larger crisis Israel faced was not Babylon. It was themselves. It was their identity. It was shattered by their suffering. They understood that their situation was punishment for their failure to be God's people. The destruction of the city was their fault. God had lifted his hand from them, and they were doomed. Sit on that for 160 years. And then enter Isaiah 40. Comfort. Comfort my people. A promise. A hope. A suffering servant from within Israel who would come to redeem, restore, heal, and hope. Help his people. And Israel will wait on that for another 40, 400 years. We know now, Jesus, he's come as the comfort. The book of Mark that we've been studying and living out of is appropriate. A rich and reputable surgeon in London, England, was taking care of people during the plague. He had sent his children off to boarding school and had found that his oldest boy had been infected. What was he to do to show his love? Well, he sent a letter, a card, to bring comfort and hope to the boy. Things didn't improve, so he sent a care package. And then some money for a private room in the hospital that he'd be cared for. But still, his son did not recover. The thing is, true comfort came when the father left the city and went to be with his son to suffer alongside and care for the beloved child. Only God himself, Jesus, God in the flesh, can come to restore, to rescue and comfort sick humanity. It's an insurmountable task, like looking to the North Shore Mountains and saying, get out of the way, or filling the cavernous canyons as you drive along Highway 5, north, windy, and treacherous single-lane highway. Isaiah 40 is about God making a way, smooth and easy. But one thing it isn't. It's not a ladder. Ladders are the human responses to obstacles. I can get over this on my own. But God says, those are mountains you can't climb, let alone level. Those are valleys too deep and dark to delve into on your own. You can't fill them. Don't wear yourself out trying to get to me. Let me come to you. Advent's a time when we realize the darkness of the world, our own individual pain and suffering, and our collective captivity is our darkness, the secrets that you and I keep. Aaron White's book, Recovering, addresses the comfort we seek and need. Spiritually and medically, addiction is best understood as a response to pain, and not just individual pain. The dislocation theory of addiction asks, 
Why are we seeing a dramatic increase in overdoses and addictions in our society? Historically, societies that are unjust, broken, tyrannical, they demonstrate deeper and destructive effects of addiction. When societies break down in culture and people are dislocated through war, recession, colonialization, isolation, and corruption, addictions and crime increase. Sounds a lot like Vancouver. He quotes Richard Rohr, Spiritual desire is the drive God puts in us from the beginning for total satisfaction, for home, for heaven, for divine union. And it just got displaced onto the wrong object. Gerald May adds, Addiction exists wherever persons are internally compelled to give energy to things that are not their true desires. Addiction is a state of compulsion, obsession, or preoccupation that enslaves a person's will and desire. Addiction sidetracks and eclipses the energy of our deepest, truest desire for love and goodness. So when we put it like that, it's not just illicit drugs that are momentarily comforting, but a big problem when we try to live by our own self-interests. To know pains to be human. To need is to be human. And no amount of money, influence, resources, comfort, or sheer determination is going to change our physical, emotional, and spiritual dependence on others or other things. Russell Brand, Brand put it this way. I'm lonely, have sex. I'm sad, get drunk. I'm bored, eat cake. Okay. So we all, in some way, are dependent and affected by the pain and loss of our world, our city, our neighborhood, like Vancouver's downtown east side. It's a sign of our collective pain and suffering, something that we share. You and I are like that child, sick alone and hurting and waiting, waiting for our Father to return, to be with us in person, to heal us and make us whole. And Aaron concludes like this. The good news is that something can be done about this. The major something has, in fact, already been done. And this, and we can participate in our own healing the healing of others, and even the healing of our broken society. The more difficult news, which I refuse to downplay, is this. That it's really, really hard work, and that it requires everything we have. God has come to us in Jesus, and he offers to us his hope and comfort. So I wonder if today, right now, you can respond. You could posture to receive the coming of the Lord, that you would put your hope and comfort in him rather than our own comforts or answers. God bless you.